the evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Good afternoon to you. It is the 21st of March 2022, Human Rights Day, a public holiday throughout South Africa. But Chai FM being Real Talk Radio is not taking a break. We're bringing you the news as it breaks live. Nelson Mandela said to deny people their human rights is to challenge their very humanity. This year's commemoration of Human Rights Month coincides with the 25th anniversary of the adoption of the Constitution. The Constitution enshrines the rights of all people in South Africa and affirms the democratic values of human dignity, equality and freedom. Let's reflect on them, claim them and continue to protect the rights of others as well. Our Constitution has said to be one of the most liberal in the world. It enshrines so many rights to our our people, yet we still see this massive disparity in South Africa between the haves and the have-nots, which is one of the biggest problems facing our young democracy. Another problem, of course, facing our young democracy is crime. Crime is so rampant, but not just violent contact crime, crime in every sort. We talk about state capture. We talk about the PPE frauds that have taken place. But we seem to forget that individuals are being impacted on a daily basis through lack of service delivery as a result of that corruption, as a result of tender fraud. And that everyday South African citizens are losing their hard-earned monies and savings simply because they are falling victim to frauds that are not being investigated for a number of reasons. Joining me in a few minutes is AJ Ranchard. He is a experienced veteran fraud investigator. And we're going to be chatting about some of the challenges that face fraud investigators in South Africa and what you as the public need to know and be aware of to ensure that you don't become a victim. And if, sadly, you do become a victim, what do you need to do? Stay tuned. I want to remind you that the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of mine or that of High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. A happy Human Rights Day to you all. You're listening to Confidential Brief live on High FM. And today I'm joined by AJ Ranchard. AJ has been in the forensics space as an investigator for over three decades. He was with the major South African retail banks, insurers, and went on his own in 2015 as a director of a forensic consultancy. AJ, a very, very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Chad. Afternoon to all your listeners. Thanks for having us. It's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. AJ, one of the things that, that strikes me, this being Human Rights Day, is one of the human rights is to be safe and secure in your land of birth. When one looks at the rise in contact crime, and then, of course, the equal, if not higher, rise in respect of fraud that we, we, we refer to so often as being white-collar crime that is seemingly victimless but leaves such devastation in its wake. We must ask ourselves, is the country doing enough to secure the rights of citizens to protect them from these predators that are out there? Chad, that's a, a good question and it's a tall order from uh, a, a democracy that's now been running for quite some time. Um, I think before I even answer some of that question, I I believe it's important for us to try and ensure that everyone that's out there understands that fraud, crime, theft, corruption, 
there's various categories of, of these activities and every one of them can touch you at any point in your life. I think there are very few South Africans who've been fortunate enough who have traveled through their time in the country and can actually say, I've not been a victim of crime to start with. And then there are those many souls who just feel very helpless when they become a victim of crime. Because the first thing that most people have as part of our learnings as we grow as people in this country is to go to your nearest police station and seek some sort of assistance. The sad reality is that I've seen this for myself over decades now, where from going in as a victim of crime and getting some form of assistance, you now go into a police station and there's actually a propensity where there is a crime that's occurred. But unfortunately, uh, oftentimes we see a police official that will turn this member of the public away by stating that it's not actually a crime that's occurred. And as a result, we're now seeing communities even take into their own hands whatever is happening in their communities. And that's where we see vigilantism growing in the country. So, H.A., you... you, you, you picked on some certain areas there that are of extreme concern. The one that you mentioned is that when victims go to a police station, often they get turned away. That could be through ignorance. It could be through negligence. It could be simply because the member there was trained in contact crimes, is not a specialist and doesn't understand the elements of a fraud that's taken place. Another thing I've seen arise in is people that are going to the police station that are victims of a fraud where they basically get laughed at and they get told, well, it's your own fault. You should have done more to prevent it. And they re-victimized by the very people that are meant to help them. And the third thing that I've identified is that people actually go to the police station now to try register a case simply because they need a reference number so they can try claim back on some other insurance. They don't have any faith that the police will actually be able to have the capacity to investigate. What are your thoughts on the capacitation of the police to investigate complex financial crimes? So as a country, we've got a lot of experts that are sitting out there. Um, some of them uh, semi-retired, some retired. And I, I believe that there's a lot of our experts, um, some who are within my network, who I've spoken with. And they are more than happy to provide their services to the state in terms of trying to turn around the scourge of crime in relation to being able to help build capacity because not all of us will be around for a very long time in terms of, of um, providing services to uh, enhance, uh, let's call it, crime-fighting abilities. And there has to be a point at, you know, uh, in, in any country's uh, lifespan where there's a handover of a chalice it's like a relay race. You must hand over that that baton, that chalice, and, and, and the next person must take it forward. The sad thing is that uh, a lot of a lot of what has to happen in terms of crime fighting, as much as there's a lot of training and theory and causes and reading material and the internet, sometimes your best training is going to be real life. So you have to get into the trenches, so to speak, and you literally have to be able to fight crime with what you've learned from your last investigation, whether it's fraud, whether it's violent crime, whether it's cash in transit, uh, whether it's rape, murder, or robbery. 
So AJ, you, you, you've made a point there that is exceptionally valid, and that's the fact that there needs to be some or other cooperation between the public and the private sector. We've seen a growth in the private security industry that's phenomenal in terms of numbers. You've got 2.2 million registered security officers, of which 550,000 are active. That's more than the police and the army combined. The police have basically given away the patrolling of the streets to those security companies that are capable. They haven't done it intentionally. They haven't entered into a private partnership with them. It's just been the way things have happened. And when one looks at the investigation knowledge that is contained within the private sector, you would expect there to be more of a similar type scenario where the private sector are going to start taking up the reins and either assisting in terms of a public-private partnership or we're going to see a lot more private prosecutions. What are your thoughts on that? So I think there's been a lot of strategy that went into where we've gone um, from, let's call it, 25 years ago or 30 years ago where uh, reliance was predominantly on the state um, with that private partnership uh, being focused uh, with regards to community policing itself. The intention and the ideas were very good in terms of uh, the state requiring the, the citizens to become more involved and as a result you have that community policing ideal that is out there. It can work at the same token, I think, and, and now I'm going to say something that's controversial. There may be many listeners that will disagree with me, but here's the fact of the matter. If each citizen on its own does not play its role in terms of abiding by our laws, then this very idealistic strategy in terms of fighting crime may well fall very flat on its face. Um, we're seeing a lot of it at this point in time because I always ask a question to a lot of people. What's the difference between whether you bribe, and no pun intended here, a law enforcement official, or whether you bribe the president, and whether it's for one rand or for one billion rand? There is no difference. It's the principle of people's actions that I think most people at a moment in time, at a moment of where they understand that, look, I've, I've overstepped the law and instead of taking accountability, they rather try to resolve the issue by way of committing an act of bribery and corruption, which it's, it's just not going to help the country to get any further than it is. Some very valid points there and something I want to take up after the break. I'm chatting to sure. AJ Ranchard, a 30-year-plus veteran in investigations. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today I'm chatting about the massive, massive problem we see in South Africa, which involves fraud, corruption, and theft. Theft is, is one of those things that, that people tend to forget is also regarded as a financial crime. A lot of the times you'll see prosecutors go for the low-hanging fruit and they charge people with theft, whereas people may have thought that a fraud transpired. But there's a very strong similarity between the two. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. I'm very fortunate to have a person who's been in the industry for more than 30 years helping us make sense of the current status quo in South Africa when it comes to investigating um, financial crime. And that's AJ Ranchard. 
AJ, before we went to break, we were talking about how fraud and corruption has impacted on everybody's lives and how it's a human right in our country to expect a reactive investigative service from the state. And it seems to be lacking. Do you think it's because of a brain drain? Do you think there was deliberate sabotage within our, our criminal justice cluster? Or do you think perhaps the country just grew too fast and didn't keep up with the changes in, in fraud? So, Chad, I think there's there's been a combination of activities that um, have brought us to where we are and to what we've seen. In some parts, there was brain drain. You know, so law enforcement, criminal justice is not just driven by investigators, policemen, private security. It's also driven by the other parts of this big machinery that we we um, have. You know, there's prosecutors, there's magistrates, um, there's, there's, there's various components that make up part of the criminal justice system. The sad reality is that, you know, eventually, and if, if a person can afford to leave the country because they feel that exactly what we're celebrating today, their human rights are under threat, they will take that option because it's no longer just about their individual safety, it's also about their family. We've seen in recent time a number of whistleblowers who've packed up their bags and decided to rather walk away from this place because of their safety being under threat. We've seen uh, a number of whistleblowers over the years get murdered because they have, excuse me, have spoken out for what they believed to be right. And, and it's not just what was right, but it forms part of that human rights concept that if something is not, and you know, if, if it's just against the law, it just should not be left alone. That takes me to a point where I want to implore people that are whistleblowers don't stop being a whistleblower for whatever reason. Um, the criminal element will always try to make it look as though you are being um, a pimp. They'll give you different different names. They'll call you a rat or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, you know, statistically from the industry perspective, the, the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners over years and years internationally and locally have proven that your whistleblowers are in fact your best and biggest source of information in terms of getting to deal with matters that require investigation. For anyone that wants to do a whistleblowing, my advice is don't attempt a whistleblowing on your own. The first uh, and most important thing is try and protect your identity. There's many means and ways of doing whistleblowing. You don't have to give your details it's part of our law that requires or, or enforces that there's a protected disclosure where you can be an anonymous whistleblower. So, you know, uh, without um, taking fact into fiction um, where the movies uh, come into play, uh, a lot of what we watch from a Hollywood perspective or any other um, filmmaking industries there are ways and means of doing these things. If somebody is not sure, my opinion is that they make contact with people that are experts in the field. A lot of us that are doing this work have dealt for years and years with whistleblowers. Some of the whistleblowers and some of the activity that they've disclosed to us 
is not disclosed to anyone else. It's literally between the whistleblower and ourselves. I always caution every whistleblower that I speak to that if you want to remain anonymous, it is your right. But you must understand the key requirements for an anonymity. You should not be the person going around saying to people that you made this whistleblowing. That is a sacred and cardinal rule for any whistleblower. Some people see it as being almost bodacious. They they see it as they being brave and, and they fighting corruption. But factor in your safety. It's very important. I like what you said there. Some people regard it as a badge of honor. Others, unfortunately, have whistleblown after the event to try save their own skin. And then, of yeah. course, you have the genuine whistleblowers who become absolutely abused by the system some have had to like you mentioned leave the country others have been assassinated others become unemployable because organizations think well if i make a mistake what are these people going to do they're going to blow the whistle the protected disclosures act doesn't do enough you raised the point about films when we come back from from break i want to chat to you about some of the films that have recently made it onto both the big screen as well as onto netflix and showmax and other documentary channels which give a fascinating insight for the public into what's going on in terms of fraud, but something you and I know exceptionally well, and we need to give some advice to our listeners what to be on the lookout for. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. I sincerely hope you're having a lovely day on this Human Rights Day 2022, 25 years since our constitution was placed into law. Chatting to fraud expert and veteran investigator for the past three decades and longer, giving away your age there, AJ Ranchard. And before we went to break, we were chatting about the fact that there's even movies that are out there that have in the past glamorized um, whistleblowing. But what we're now seeing of late are movies that I wouldn't say quite glamorize swindlers but it seems to be putting them front and center and some of the victims are being re-victimized we've seen tinder swindler which everybody's talking about and we now see the media in south africa suddenly picking up interest in scams that aj and myself have been investigating for years then there was inventing anna and a brand new netflix series which i binged watched yesterday with glenda four parties called bad vegan fame fraud and fugitive it's unbelievable, AJ, how everybody's suddenly jumping onto the bandwagon and talking about this stuff as if, as if it's brand new. But all it is is a fraud in a different guise. Give me your take on, on, on these latest documentaries and this, 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 this new sensationalism of these swindlers. Chad, maybe just before we go into the, the discussion around uh, those movies, uh, that song was a very apt song uh, that you played, and I like it. Back to our discussion, yes, uh, the movies unfortunately have a tendency to glamorize everything that is wrong in terms of criminality. And the sad reality is people are impressionable. What they watch is what they will act out sometimes in reality. Um, when, we see, when we see some of the activities that are taking place here, we don't, we, we don't have too many movies that were made, especially around the tragedy of whistleblowing and the tragedy of uh, some of the victims and their families and how it has impacted impacted them in their lives you know uh, where it's taken 
good wholesome family values and it's it's uh, the whistleblowing and the impact and the events that occur thereafter, how they've torn families apart, pitting people against one another, husband against wife, father against son, um, and so on. You know, the sad reality is, is that movies always detect or, or, or tend to um, put forward the glamour in whatever's happening. Directors and producers of movies have a tendency to be able to make a movie and show you a person's entire life in less than three hours. Um, one of the sad realities is that the crimes that we deal with sometimes manifest themselves over many, many years. And the investigations that we do sometimes go on for years, not just from an investigative part, but in terms of prosecution. Um, I know I'm being interviewed, but one of the cases that you've conducted over a number of years that uh, resulted in a gentleman by the name of, I think it's Johannes van Eerden. That individual has eventually um, been dealt with in terms of our criminal justice system. I have a few cases, one in particular that goes back, if it was a child, it would now be a 10-year-old. So there's a reality with what we do. And nobody sees that reality. You know, it also has an impact on the victims. It has an impact in, on, on some of the victims where they don't ever recover from these crimes that were perpetrated against them. Some of these victims, before the matter can get anywhere, whether it's investigation or being charged, the, the, that is the perpetrators being charged, and criminal justice taking place, some of the victims end up seeing nothing more in life um, and the only way out for them is suicide. You know, so that, um, what the movies depict and what happens in reality are worlds apart. Well, you're so right, um, AJ. Um, you, you hear people referring to themselves as the, the wolf on Wall Street. It's like a badge of honor they wear that they've been able to manipulate the system. We saw it in South Africa so many times, and you raised the Johnny van Eden case that we've worked the last five years. If we, yeah. if we weren't consolidating cases and pushing the authorities, those cases wouldn't really get anywhere simply because the authorities at this point in time have a mandate to concentrate on, on state capture, PPE fraud, tender-related fraud, and all the public cases are getting lost somewhere in the system. And you've got cases that have been sitting 5, 10, 12 years. There's a JPC case, 140 million rand fraud on the city of Johannesburg people, the, the, the residents, the ratepayers. And that case has been in the Pretoria Specialized Commercial Commercial Crimes Court because the deeds office that was used to, to transfer properties belonging to, to, to the residents um, occurred in Pretoria where there was a corrupt person. And that case has been on the roll for 12 years. So justice delayed is, is not justice at all. And we, we need to somehow see recapacitation. When we come back, we're going to talk about how do we actually capacitate. I'm in conversation with fraud expert and veteran investigator, AJ Ranchard. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Chatting today to AJ Ranchard, and something he said really struck a, a, a nerve, and it's something that I've tried to, to push over the years, and people like AJ understand it, but so many others don't, and that's the collateral damage caused by fraud. 
you'll see somebody become a victim of fraud. But before they realize they're a victim of fraud, because they're believing they're receiving such a brilliant return on investment, they introduce friends or family into that particular scheme. Or worse still, they take money out of the family's trust, the family's investments, the family's savings to be able to increase their share of what they believe to be a very lucrative scheme. Meanwhile, it's a scam. Frauds destroy families. Frauds are divisive. And as AJ pointed out, people even commit suicide as a result of fraud. AJ, why do people out there not take fraud as seriously as one would expect? Why do people say, ah, that person was just greedy, or ah, they should have seen it coming, and not realize just how prevalent it is and how devastating it is? Chad, I think there's uh, there's, there's a a sad reality in this world. Um, Nobody wants to live a life of poverty. That's what I believe. At the same token, I do believe that um, many individuals have forgotten that you have to put in hard work, honest efforts in order to get somewhere. The rags to riches stories, uh, we've seen a lot of them. We see them in reality. We see them uh, in movies again. And, and, and a lot of what we see, you know, the rags to riches especially is... is um, it's fickle. It's not real. A lot of the times the individuals that are running the schemes and scams are the ultimate beneficiaries of exactly what you were speaking about, uh, where somebody's taken money from their family members. Some people, it's their last savings. Several years ago, I did investigation where there was an investment broker who had managed to lure, sadly, uh, semi-literates extremely elderly people who had the last few pennies that they had saved up um, but managed to to sell them this vision and this the strategy of you'd get very rich as soon as you left your money with me and all of that money was was dealt with in physical cash so a lot of the 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 older generation who believe that um, lost a lot of their money. Uh, some of them, it was the real, real last bits of savings. You know, the, the, the fact that we might not have money at one point in time is, is there. <clears throat> We're seeing it with the fact that we now living longer as human beings and the money that you have, if you had the, the fortunate situation to save, you now have to make that money stretch for many more years compared to previous generations. With that being said, I think it's it's our duty to guide individuals out there to make sure that, number one, when you're in investing any of your money, please make sure that it is with a registered, and this should be registered with what was the old FSB, it's now the FSCA, it's got a very long name. But make sure that it's not something that has just been started out on the side. Make sure that if you're not sure about it, trust your instinct. Don't go and invest your money and just wish and hope for the best. If you're still not sure, contact contact your bank. Contact um, legal compliance people. Ask them the question. You know, not everything will cost you money in terms of trying to make a a good decision in terms of um, uh, 
making an inquiry. It's important that you don't give your money to someone who sounds very sleek. I think most of the, the con men that are out there are very smooth talkers. I've never been drawn into one of those things because of the work that we do. But I've always come across them where I've always had to question, you know, there's, there's one side of me that is, is still human. Uh, it's like every other person. I want to make money. But at the same token, the other side of me that is the, the, the pro-risk or, or pro-anti-fraud fighter is always asking the questions. Who is this person? Where did they come from? Have they been involved in other activities? Um, and, and that's on an individual level. When we take it to those, those levels of procurement and tender fraud and corruption, um, even government, there's, there's so many tools that are usable out there. Um, here's the sad reality. It's just because there's individuals that influence those decisions. There's a tendency by them to almost ignore those tools. And this is where it's sad because in many organizations, you've got individuals who get paid to protect the organization. And instead of them protecting the organization, um, they become embroiled in exactly what they're supposed to work against. Fraud, theft, corruption, maladministration, all of that. What you said, um, what you said yeah. about the, the fraudsters being slick is so true. That's why we call them con artists. They, they're confident and they're convincing. And I think one of the most important rules of thumb for our listeners is when it comes to an investment, if they don't understand the investment and if the returns seem very good, ask questions. And if you're still not satisfied with the answers, don't feel compelled to invest. Find somebody else who can answer those questions for you. Because some of these investment schemes are so complex that we feel perhaps stupid in wanting to ask the obvious questions. And we want to sound or look as if we understand what's going on. And I think it's a very simple rule of thumb. If you don't understand it, don't invest in it. What are your thoughts? 100% correct. Um, I think one of the, the saddest tra tragedies a few years ago was uh, it was called the Creon scheme. Uh, it was a pyramid scheme of sorts where uh, it was based on exactly what we were discussing earlier on, introducing friends, families, uh, family members, taking money that was your savings. A lot of state employees became embroiled in that where they invested their life savings and retirement monies and lost it all. Even though the case ended up in court, some portions of it, I don't think enough was done and, and I don't think enough people were arrested. The sad reality is, is um, eventually what was recovered was probably just, you know, very minimal in compared to what was taken into the scheme. Yeah, Creon devastated the Vol Triangle. I think it was mostly Escor, um, Cecil, those employees yeah. that got taken, and it was heartbreaking. Some of the biggest sentences in the history of this country were handed down, yet everybody yep. that received interest had to pay it back into a kitty of sorts, and then SARS said, hello, and then people were left in a worse position than they actually were in. But yep. that's the devastation of a Ponzi scheme. When we that's come right. back, we're going to chat to AJ about what can be done, and AJ is going to be advising us what he can do to help you, the listener, if you have been a victim of one of these scams. We'll be back in the closing minutes straight after this. 
You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. As we approach the end of the show, I'd just like to recap about what we've been chatting about. We've been chatting to AJ Ranchard, who is a 30 plus year veteran in fraud investigations. He started in the banks, he moved across into insurance, and he now has his own specialist consultancy. AJ, tell us a little bit more about the areas of of financial crime in which you specialize and how people can get in touch with you should they need your assistance. Uh, Thanks, Chad. I I think where we try to focus is, is, um, especially with individuals that have small, micro, medium enterprises. So we don't only service that sector. We've done work um, as a team across different uh, geographical spaces, across different entities for some of the biggest multinationals, including subcontracting um, through other entities where we've done work within the parastatal environment. One of the things that most people have a misnomer about is that the services and and what you're looking for are very expensive. By comparison with what my team and I do, we are actually very low priced compared to our competitors. Um, One of the things that we've seen in recent time is especially your SMMEs, where it's a, a little business where, you know, a lot of it is built on trust. But we try and help those businesses, especially where we we work from a proactive perspective. So in my opinion, you have control over your inner space, if I can call it that. So running your actual business, as long as you can devise, develop, and if you don't have the the skills and knowledge, that's where we come into play. We can assist with giving that consulting advice in terms of drafting policies, procedures, step-by-step guides. Uh, making sure that everything that you should be doing in a business, whether you're a little two-man show or you've got 50 employees or more, that all of that is taken care of in terms of making sure that everyone is doing what they're supposed to do, first and foremost, always protecting the business. Because if that business is not protected, it's going to mean losses. It's going to mean no increases, no bonuses, it could eventually spell if the theft and, and, and fraud get so big, the unfortunate closure of the business, which means that it's not only the employees that are going to be affected, it will be their family members, um, spouses, kids, and in some cases there's extended family members who are impacted. So that that is where our services come in, in terms of we work with our clients from the start of your business all the way through to wherever you're going. You know, um, one of the important things that people don't pay attention to is the vetting of the employees. As a business person, you must know who you're bringing into your business. Do a simple background vetting on the individual. Those are services we offer. One of the tools that is very underrated and sometimes extremely criticized is polygraph. Make sure that you can use pre-employment polygraph screening. So, AJ, our listeners would like to get in touch. How do they get in touch? Okay, so we've got our website, um, but I'll also give out my my email address. It's my name, AJ, A-J-A-Y, at 
rfc-inc.co.za. I'm also available on WhatsApp on 083-281-3377. I've, I've recently made contact with uh, a group of individuals who are my contractor consultants, and each of them does have their own mail address. So let let them contact you first, and you're going to yes. be able to put them in touch. So just give us that uh, website address one last time. Uh, the website itself is www dot rfc hyphen inc dot co dot za aj i want to take this opportunity to thank you so much for your expertise and your time today